What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, Ja Morants, Joe Johnsons, Ja Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We got them for days. Josh, are you honorary inclusion? Jalen Hurts. That man was ridiculously good in the first half last night. I'm still not completely sold, but he made me very happy. Well, you know, he he did make me very happy. It's also really nice to be able to go in prime time against Kirk Cousins because that dude just loses all capabilities of being a quarterback. Those interceptions were really, they were quite something. I mean, Jerry Slay probably could have had five. And that's only a slight exaggeration because he flat out dropped one mm-hmm. and had two mm-hmm. and wasn't all that far away from getting another couple. It was, yes, it was quite something. He is the most consistent, inconsistent quarterback of all time. He is consistently inconsistent, inconsistent ways. Are you following me here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. You know exactly what you're going to get. You know exactly what you're going to get, and what you're going to get is inconsistencies, especially when he's the only football game playing at that time. If it's a primetime game, if nobody else is playing football, it's just him and the other team, it's it's consistently bad and completely inconsistent to what he did the year, you know the week prior. And then like 14 of these 18 weeks of the season, you're like, yeah, I feel okay with Kirk Cousins being my quarterback on my fantasy team. Like, he'll go be Darren Rodgers. Right, but then there are days like last night where it's like, Oh my goodness. Like this is why the Vikings are never really a, no matter how good the rest of that roster is, they're never truly Super Bowl contenders because that dude is there because that dude is incapable of just being a game manager in primetime games. Like it's not like he's not a difference maker. He is actively rooting for the other team with the way that he plays actively. And I, there were times last night where I was really, he, he had an up and down game. First, I mean, one of the interceptions wasn't his fault. He threw two absolute darts to Adam Thielen that probably should have gotten picked off, but he put them exactly pinpoint accurate where they needed to be. And then, right, there were the other four decisions where you just go, I don't know what happened there. It was, and yeah, it was, that was, there were all kinds of interesting things happening last night. I mean, Derrick Henry almost lost so badly, he cost me a win in fantasy. If the Eagles weren't winning, I was probably going to lose. But Miles Sanders got a bunch of yards at the end because, you know, Derrick Henry just stopped playing in the middle of the third quarter because they were losing by 34. Right. Stephon Diggs almost brought me back from 50 points down. I don't don't know how I feel about this whole Monday night doubleheader thing, but all I know is next time I hope it's a little more interesting than what we got last night. Right. 100%. Uh, Anyways, college basketball podcast, not a football podcast, but nonetheless, sometimes we digress. Um, Preview series. It's here. We just recorded the interview that will accompany this here Big East preview podcast uh, that will go up uh, this week as well. So that's very exciting. Um, a guy on the podcast that we've had many times before, and we'll tell you who that is uh, towards the end of the pod. But per usual, a big long preview series each week kind of dominated by a conference. Ideally it's one podcast, just the two of us, Josh and I accompanied by a podcast with someone who covers that specific conference conference extensively or covers a team in that conference 
extensively or teams, as is the case in some situations. Uh, it's our favorite part of the year, pretty much every year. Um, and it's back. We're very, very excited about it to hop right in. If you are new to the way that we do this, right? The whole point of the conference preview is to try to talk about as many teams as possible. And so we're going to try to get as many in as possible, even if there's a section at the end of the pod where it's like, okay, what else you got? What other things, little tidbits did you find that you want to throw in there to try and talk about every team, at least even if it's just for a couple seconds, talk about every team and and get the full story of of the conference. And this accompanied with the, you know, the interview uh, in the conversation with another media member every week. We hope to paint as clear of a picture as possible, but we do that in five specific categories here on the Jays for Days podcast, and they are as follows. One and two is simply the team you're most excited about and the team you're most intrigued by. Whatever that means, why ever they are, there's no right or wrong reason. It could have everything to do with how good they're going to be or everything to do with how not good they're going to be or everything to do with how you have no idea how good they're going to be. But most intriguing, most exciting, those are the first two categories. Then we hop into storylines, right, kind of talking through some of the the meat and potatoes of the conference, where the the action lies, where the uncertainties lie, um, where the changes are, uh, so on and so forth. That's in the storylines category, followed by the teams that can make the NCAA tournament. Right. Um, it's not always that's how many teams are going to make the tournament, but how many teams could um, in a conference that gets, you know, six or seven teams in there could be nine teams that could make up that six or seven. Um, so the teams that could make the NCAA tournament and then it wouldn't be a preview podcast without declaring a winner of of the conference at the end of each pod. Um, that's how we do this, Josh, before we dive into it. Did I miss anything? No, the only other thing I want to throw out there, we will not be doing this in alphabetical order. Right. We're going to bounce around a little bit. We're just working on setting up all of our interviews. Some were easier to get than others. So we're trying to line up the previews with the interviews. Usually we try and go in alphabetical order because we're just wired like that. Mm -hmm. That will not be the case, but we will ultimately get all three, all six high major conferences here in the next six weeks. Yes, sir. Shall we begin? Let's do it. We're starting with the biggies in case that, I mean, by the title of the podcast, you knew that this was going to be the biggest. I don't think I've told you that yet. Um, but we're starting with the biggies this week, and uh, we'll start with the most the team you're most excited about. Mr. Doring, for the first time in 2022, which biggies team are you most excited about? Great. Are we this boring? I think we're this boring. I think we might not be as boring in the next category. I'm not boring in the next category. Usually I like to try and get somebody that might not be the one of the favorites in the conference that I'm just really excited about for mm. an irrational reason. I love finding teams that I get really hyped about without having a lot to back it up. You know, I, I have my reasons, but you sure. like to make fun of me for it, basically. I enjoy trying to defend those. <laughs> I just really, really, really like this Creighton team. And so... I wasn't looking for that in the Big East because I didn't have to think hard about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, your starting lineup is going to be Ryan Nemhard, Trey Alexander, Baylor, Baylor Shireman, Arthur Columa, and Ryan Kalkbrenner. Yeah, the bench is a little bit of a question mark. 
but you do have Mike Miller's son now available to provide some shooting. And the big question here is the three-point line because none of the returning players shot better than 31.1% from three. Shireman shot 46.9%. And your other notable transfer, TCU's Francisco Farabello, shot 38.4%. And Mason Miller can shoot the ball too. So your three guys who you're adding to the returners from last season, your three key pieces, are all really good shooters on a team that didn't shoot the ball well. They were 112th in offensive efficiency last season, 19th in defensive. We talked about this, the idea that Greg McDermott flipped his blueprint on its head, essentially. And the team that was always great offensively, but not great defensively, was great defensively and not great offensively. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that has to happen for this to all click into gear and for them to become a top five team in the country. You can debate whether that's actually a thing that can happen, but boy, am I excited to see how good they can be. And then on top of all of that, last year's team overachieved as a team that was 310th in the country in experience and 341st in the country in continuity. And we love in the college basketball media to talk about experience coming back and continuity. And they didn't have either of those things last year. And right. They finished the regular season 70th at Kempom. They finished 50th because they had some NCAA tournament success. Um, All of that's fine and dandy, but this is still a team that overachieved last year, a team that generally overachieves. And a team that on top of all of those things you just said is bringing back a defensive player, reigning biggest defensive player of the year that, is primed to have a player of the year type season this year and Ryan Kalkbrenner. You bring back you, you bring back right Ryan Nemhard, uh, you know, a sophomore class that was collectively really good last year. And then you add a guy in Baylor Shireman that is about as perfect of a combination of just a really high level college proven talent. And a guy that fits your team, right? That's a guy that shot a ridiculous three, a ridiculous average from the three-point line. And right, his numbers won't be as good because a guy coming from a mid-major to a you know a power conference team, they're never as good. But that's mostly because there are other good players on that team. And, and I mean, his three-point percentage might be better though, because all he's going to have perhaps. is hit open threes because you're dealing with all of these other weapons. Right. Statistically, he's not going to produce at the same level, but he might be even better at what he does best because of the situation he's now in. To add on to your point, it's a it's a good team with good coaching, continuity, and the holes that they had after last season they filled with college proven talent. Right there, so collectively, we're assuming that guys take a step forward. Right, if guys don't take a step forward, they're not going to be a national. They're not going to be a top fifteen team. They're not going to be a national title contender because. But generally speaking, guys who are good freshmen become better sophomores, and then you add talent around them. That team's typically better, right? There's a reason that we get so excited about teams bringing lots of guys back with college experience, just in general, right? We do it every single year. We're doing it with Indiana this year. Um, another team that's was ultimately not all that expi- inspiring last year, but they have an all Big Ten level guy, all American level guy, and Trace Jackson Davis. And I think Ryan Kalkbrenner is can have the type of season that he's a all American. Like he can have that type of a season. He's capable of it. Certainly capable of having a 
all big East, big East player of the year caliber season. And then you bring a bunch of quality college basketball players back around him. You add some other talent and you have a team that people are excited about. So I'm, I'm excited about them as well. I also am just, I think this is the most well-rounded team that Greg McDermott's ever had. And it, and it, it won't take that big of an improvement offensively to get to that point. Like it'll take a little, it'll take some, right? You can't be a sub 115 Kempom offense and truly be a national title contender. Just like you can't be a sub 75 Kempom defense and truly be a national title contender, at least not typically. Um, and, but I think we're going to right. this team has the foundation of defense and brought in the pieces to have a sizable jump in their efficiency on the offensive end. And even the little things like, like the fact that Ryan Nemhard is a year older means that they're going to turn the ball over less. They're going to like the, these guys just being a little older. Those are the other things that are going to translate. And that's going to uh, translate to more efficiency on the offensive end. I'm right there with you. I'm a big fan of the blue Jays and a huge fan of Greg McDermott. And why wouldn't you be excited about that? It's a great question. Your most intriguing team, Mr. Dorn. I have a guess as to where you're going to go, so I intentionally went somewhere different. Okay. I'm going UConn. Okay. All right. Cool. For a couple of different reasons. One, I always find these UConn rosters really interesting because they have so much raw talent. They are so big and long and physical. You bring back Adam Snogo and Andre Jackson, so there's your interior. I'm a huge Jordan Hawkins guy. That's not a thing that's exclusive to me by any means. He's going to be one of the breakout stars in in the entire sport this year. And you brought in Tristan Newton and Naheem Aline as your new backcourt. I'm also a big Naheem Aline guy. On paper, this looks awfully good. And UConn have been pretty good under Danny Hurley. They also haven't won an NCAA tournament game since 2016. At some point, you've got to turn all of this talent into a team that then goes and wins multiple games in March. Right? It's not that they've completely underachieved during the regular season. They've been more or less a top 25 team recently. But they haven't been a factor in the national conversation at the end of the season when it matters. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is a really interesting sort of context to add to this awfully intriguing and awfully talented roster with another one of those nat- conference play of the year candidates in Sonoma. There are just so many different facets to this that I am intrigued by that I went, I went UConn. You know, it's, I think UConn's transition to the Big East has gone the way that a lot of people thought it was going to go. Right. You get UConn back into this conference that eats, sleeps and breathes college basketball. You get them back into just a, you know, a conference that is more attractive from, you know, a gajillion angles over the American, but specifically a recruit would rather play in the Big East than the American with all due respect to the American. You bring in Danny Hurley, who I don't think anybody is shocked that he's seen success on multiple fronts, but at some point it's time for the university of Connecticut, Connecticut to be relevant on the national stage. Right. right? At some point that is going to be like, like where we are now with UConn is not acceptable as Danny Hurley's 
final destination when it comes to his tenure at UConn. At some point, you have to be more relevant on the national stage than they have been, which is which is fine. We're not we're we're certainly not at a point where like Danny Hurley is sleeping worse some nights because he's worried about his job. That's not what I'm getting at. What I am getting at though is like this is probably like if if they're not nationally relevant this year, it's it's not like it's gonna happen next year because Adam Sonogo is gonna be gone, right? And that's a guy who is not really in part of that conversation when we talk about, you know, the year of the big and that first team all America big team that it could be. He's a second teamer. Right. And he's he's right there and is gonna have a season of of that magnitude. Like he's going to put up really, really impressive numbers. And right, we talked about Jordan Hawkins, we talked about all of those other things. Um, and then you know, with all of that being said, like RJ Cole was a first team all big east guy last year and he's not there again. Right. So it's it's a a roster capable of being a really, really relevant part of the, of both this conference and nationally. But it's also, like you said, it's been, it's been a while since, since UConn has actually been that team um, that at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, we're talking about them being that team. That's kind of like a buzz final four, you know, elite eight, you really don't want to play that team in March kind of team. Cause like even the national championship they won in the last 10 years, you know, both of them were like that yeah. team came out of nowhere. But I was going to say, it's not, it's not even like the national title teams fit the right. description either. Right. It's, but that absolutely elevated UConn to a whole nother level nationally. Right. Not that they didn't have a story pass before that, but this idea of you were talking about UConn, men's basketball because there they were making making these runs deep in March. Mm -hmm. These teams that you could argue are even better in the regular season, although the Kemba Walker team doesn't get the respect it deserves. That's a different conversation for another day. But right, it just only nobody's going to remember that you were, you know, consistently in the top 25 and finished fourth in the Big East. You're going to remember the Sweet 16 run, the Elite Eight run, that famous NCAA tournament win that this team just hasn't had. I like that one though. I like that one though. And and it's right at some point there's also this conversation around like Kyle Neptune getting to Villanova doesn't pass the torch to anybody in the Big East. Like until someone takes it from Villanova, it's still Villanova's torch. But if you told me that in 10 years we look up and UConn was the best program in the Big East over the last 10 years, that wouldn't stun me. You know, if for no other reason other than losing Jay Wright is a really, really big thing to have to go through, even if it only is, a you know, regardless of if it's a gradual downhill descent from where they were as a program with Jay Wright, um, there, there's kind of a king of this conference to be taken, or at least the door has opened a little bit more than it has been in the last, you know, 10 years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the team I'm most intrigued by is Xavier. Oh, okay. Where'd you think I was going? The dogs? No. Who? I thought, I thought oh, St. John's? You think you're St. No. John's? I thought you were going to go with the most interesting team in college basketball. In your oh, Georgetown. 
Yeah. No, no, they're not going to be good enough for me to make them my most intriguing. <laughs> they're not team. intriguing. They're, they're not interesting. They're not intriguing. They're just interesting. I know exactly what I'm getting for them. I'm just interested in the fact that that's how we're going to get it from them. Anyways, um, you know Xavier, another school that is has a coach returning that had a lot of success the last time he stood on their sidelines and is filling the role of a guy who was consistently underachieving as his role on the sidelines and Travis Steele. Um, but I'm, I'm intrigued by this team because like, you could tell me this team, like when I look at this roster, there, there are a couple things here First, Sean Miller, of course, him being back on the sidelines is intriguing for multiple reasons from cheating reasons to the fact that he's probably actually a good, like he's a good basketball coach and look what he's already done at Xavier. Right. All of those things combined, Sean Miller, bullet point number one. Bullet point number two is that when I look at the top, right, Creighton and Villanova, the best players on their teams are either going to be guys who were there last year or or freshmen, right? They're not exactly dictated by by transfers, right? I mean, Creighton has Baylor Shireman, but like if but if Ryan Nemhard and Ryan Kalkbrenner, like if they if they suck, like Baylor Shireman's not going to pull them out of you know fifth in the Big East, right? Like it's not going to be only because of Baylor Shireman and Villanova is the same way, right? We're talking Brandon Slater, Eric Dixon, Caleb Daniels, Justin Moore comes back at some point. And then you add the the five-star freshman, you know, Cam Whitmore into that conversation. Three, four, five, six, seven. The rest of the, you know, the teams that I consider, you know, all the way up to Butler, all of these teams are, dictated by how good their transfers end up being except xavier like xavier has something he has some peripheral pieces but like colby jones jack nungy zach Fremantle. if if xavier is good it's because like they have the continuity in theory but also if you told me all like there were going to be four or five teams better than xavier this year it'll be like yeah okay they underachieved again what else is new um but like, if you told me it clicked because Sean Miller's on the sidelines now and they finished second, like I also wouldn't be that stunned because there are a lot of people high on Colby Jones, Zach Fremantle, you know, Jack Nungie, really, really quality college basketball players um, with a really good coach on the sideline. I'm intrigued by Sean Miller and how much this roster's ceiling had to do with Travis Steele or the guys that were on the floor. Yeah, there are just so many questions and interesting facets with this team you know because because we talked about and you also just kind of made the point right it's not it's not a talent issue it hasn't been a talent issue with this team the question is can Sean Miller get more out of what's going to be a pretty similar group Mm -hmm. than Travis Steele did I mean, you're talking about 43 points, 22 and a half rebounds, and seven assists from Adam Kunkel, Colby Jones, Zach Fremantle, and Jack Nungy. And that was a Zach Fremantle who was still trying to get back into a rhythm and didn't look like himself for most of the season. On paper, this team should absolutely right there. And we gave Travis Steele a hard time for saying his team should win the Big East, and rightfully so because of the optics of that. But from a purely 
roster standpoint, it's not like he was completely out of line. Right? That that's that's the kind of talent they had. Mm-hmm. And most of it is back. Which makes this very, very intriguing. I'm right there with you. The other thing I want to say about Xavier, I'm especially excited about Soli Boom coming from UTEP just to hear the word boom used over and over on Biggie's broadcast whenever he shoots a three. <laughs> it is, watching his highlight video is absolutely fantastic. Because just right every time he takes a three, boom. Boom. It's it's phenomenal. I'm very excited about that as well. I don't know right, I don't know exactly how much of a role he's gonna play. I mean he averaged 20 points. The guy can score and he can shoot. But I'm just going to be excited every time he's on the floor waiting for him to shoot so I can hear boom. Fair enough. <laughs> All righty. Storylines this year. It's got to start with the coaches. Yep. You've got just about every kind of intriguing coach situation out there. From Jay Wright, replaced by Kyle Neptune, to the hottest commodity on the quote-unquote free agent coaching market. That's not exactly what this was, but you get mm-hmm. my point of sort of the coaches who were going to leave. Shaheen Holloway was at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And two uber successful guys going back to schools they had previously coached at and Sean Miller at that moment. Just take a second to appreciate those names. Yeah. And the other part of this that's interesting to me is I would argue, I mean, Kyle Neptune is under pressure because he's replacing Jay Wright. But it's not like Kyle Neptune's getting – he's going to get every possible opportunity to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. even if things don't go well this season. So I feel like the only one who's really under pressure right away is Sean Miller. And again, not that his job is in jeopardy from day one or anything like that, but this idea of that's a team that needs to deliver. You are brought in because what was happening, it, was, it wasn't a talent thing. It was a – our performance is not matching up to what should be happening based on the players we have got and the, the roster we're putting together every year. That is something that can change immediately. Whereas Dad Mata is trying to overhaul a lot. Shaheen Holloway is going to mold Seton Hall in his image and sort of, I mean, he's going to get every benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So that part of it is interesting to me too. Of A, what does this look like? How do these guys elevate the conference because they're such accomplished coaches? What does the replacement at Villanova mean in terms of the hierarchy of the conference? You sort of talked about that with UConn in the next decade, but just immediately kind of what are the first impressions of these coaches and do any of them make a significant impact immediately? Right. Do any of them actually change the trajectory of their, the current trajectory of their respective respect respective programs respective programams right does right? right and that can mean different things like does that Mata change the trajectory of butler from a you know a kind of a downward slope the last several years to you know to you know bouncing from kind of the bottom of this conference back into the bubble conversation and then kind of moving in that direction but for Sean Miller that means like Xavier has been aggressively flat for a while now, right? Can we change that? And can Kyle Neptune keep this momentum of, like, as we've said, can can we still keep running the Big East through Philadelphia, right? And 
all of those things. There is certainly separate situations, but it's not like a guy's coming in. Like Shaheen Holloway, I guess, fits that mold of unproven major conference head coach, like certainly. But the other guys, it's just not, it's not a, it's not quite as simple as, yeah, that team was bad and we brought in a new young coach, right? Right. Villanova was spectacular, lost their, you know, Hall of Fame head coach. Let's bring in the guy that has been on his bench for a long time at different parts of his career. Let's bring in two guys at Xavier and Butler that are, that know where their office is already before their first day of their, for their first day of school. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just that there are four new head coaches. It's not just that there are head coaches that are going to have an impact on how this conference shakes out this year. It's that they're coming into situations that aren't exactly as cut and dry as, we were underperforming. Let's get a new guy in here. Right. But these are not your typical rebuilding projects. Right. And all four coaches have pre have previous history with the university they're now going to. All four. That is also be right. Which is interesting. Yeah, I hadn't actually put that to I mean, obviously you go one by one and you think of Mata and Miller kind of together going back to these schools they coached in a different era, but you're absolutely I mean and some of them, you know, deep ties. Yeah. In the case of Holloway and Mata, yeah, it's there is so this is easily the most interesting conversation about coaching hires in a conference I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Um, first up for me, I, I of course had coaches in my storylines block here as well. The next one for me is is how is how freshmen, specifically on Villanova and for everybody else transfers, um, how the the new guys determine how this conference shakes out because right i think as you go down the list and you start with creighton and like without baylor shireman is creighton the number one the preseason number one in the big east probably not right i mean like it's probably benefit of the doubt to villanova it's at least much closer i mean it's it right. seems it's that, that, that creighton is kind of the clear front runner in the big east and without baylor shimer at least the conversation is being had about who it is um for villanova i mean villanova has a rocky relationship with asking freshmen to be super important i mean port i mean josh i mean josh is still sitting up at night waiting for brian antoine to be a contributing member to a college basketball team it's true and and you know the guys who just who seem to come in and have a an impact are, are maybe not guys that you were expecting to. Like we're talking like the Sadiq Bays who came in and were like really good college basketball players immediately. And right, I know his his season that turned him into a first round pick was a sophomore year. But you know, a, a Justin Moore was an eleven game points per game guy as a freshman. But right when we're talking Brian Antoine, like we just Javon Quinterly too. Right, a, I didn't even think of that. That's a good one. Um, the guys that are supposed to be really impactful freshmen haven't been really impactful freshmen. Save maybe Omar Spellman. I think Spellman was a five star. Yeah. Um, yeah. But especially the guys who are being asked to like make plays and have the ball in their hands a lot, it hasn't gone all of that all that well. Now, all things suggest that Cam Whitmore in particular is is that dude. Like he's him. He's he should he should translate quickly. He's a very very talented prospect. But for Villanova, right? It's typically a 
if we're asking freshmen to be big parts of the team, it's not, it's in a big relative to freshman standpoint, not from a, we're not sure about the ceiling of this team if you're not that good. Right. Um, and, and Villanova's bringing plenty back in Brandon Slater and Eric Dixon and Caleb Daniels, Justin Moore is hopefully coming back at some point. Um, hopefully he's back for conference play. Seems that it's more likely he's going to miss, you know, the first five or so games of conference play. So like, they're still going to be good, but like Villanova winning this conference and being the best team in this conference is going to come hand in hand with those freshmen being good. And then you go through the rest of the conference, as we've talked about at length at this point, whether it's at UConn or Providence, you know, Providence team that brings back Jared Bynum and then like everybody else is new. Right. Um, Seton Hall bringing, you know, a lot of guys, um, you know, bringing back some key contributors, but, you know, whether that's Kodari Richmond, Tyree Samuel, Jameer Harris, but also bringing back some high major guys uh, in transfer portal like Alamir uh, Dawes and some of those other guys. And then, right, Butler with the Eric Hunter Juniors, Ali Ali's of the world, um, Manny Bates from NC State. We can go on and on on St. John's and Andre, and Andre Cabello. Um, for the umpteenth year in a row, I have no idea who's going to finish third and who's going to finish eighth, right? Maybe it's fourth through eighth. I feel pretty confident about Creighton, Villanova, and UConn being at the top of this conference. But fourth through eighth, like I'm like, I got no idea. And it's probably going to end up being which transfers come in and produce immediately. Yeah. You hit on a couple of my points I want to elaborate on a little bit. So going back to Villanova first, the other thing I want to add not only is this an unnatural reliance on two high-profile freshmen, and Cam Whitmore is getting a lot of the attention, and understandably so, what should not get lost in this is the true freshman that's going to be having the ball in his hands, mm. which is a thing that just doesn't happen at Villanova, right? No. Even Jalen Brunson, freshman year. It was very clear how good he was going to be and how good he already was. But, there was but that was Ryan Archiakonu's exactly. team. Exactly. It has never, there has always been a guy who has been that sort of secondary ball handler, other guard first, that then inherits the responsibility as usually a junior or senior, maybe a sophomore. You can go down the entire list of point, you know, the Villanova point guard lineage. Mark Armstrong is going to show up and he's going to have to make a lot of decisions quickly for a team with a lot of expectations and a lot of eyeballs because, right, this is the first year without Jay Wright. Mm-hmm. And like you said, plenty of talent on the wings. Eric Dixon inside. Cam Whitmore is going to be huge. But ultimately, you need the ball handler, and that is going to be Mark Armstrong. So I'm really interested in that aspect of this, too. It's it's just a very different kind of Villanova team. And then just to highlight some of the transfers, you, you hit on some of them. We already talked about UConn. We already talked about Xavier a little bit. St. John's, Andre Cabello, and David Jones. I mean, David Jones is a pro- guy who produced at a high level in this conference already at DePaul. Andre Cabello is a known entity at the high major level. Not exactly know what you're going to get from him. Providence. That's such a great way to put Andre Cabello. <laughs> Providence. Yes, you got Jared Bynum back. I think Ed Crosswell is going to be really, really good now that there is no Nate Watson to sort of take minutes from him, and he's going to be the guy down low. 
But then you've got Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, who are all going to be important pieces there. I mean, Georgetown just collected the transfers, right? You got a cook, a cook. Kudus Wahab comes back. Brandon Murray, Jay Heath. All going to play important roles. It's transfers. Dante Harris, who averaged 12-4 and last season, is the lone really impactful returner. And then in case they needed even more size, Ryan Matumbo is there at seven foot two. I just wanted to throw him in there as well. <laughs> but to write another team heavily reliant on transfers, Seton Hall lose your top three scorers and Ike Obiagu. You like you said, they do have a lot of the sort of complementary pieces coming back, but then you're also talking about Casey Nadefo, Dre Davis, and Almir Dawes. Almir mm-hmm. Dawes might end up being the most important transfer in this conference. And then you talked about the Butler guys and the fact that not only are they going to play huge roles, multiple of them are going to start. These are also the guys who are going to fill the holes on this Butler team that are so glaring. Mm -hmm. It is your interior presence that hasn't existed. It is your point guard that's going to get the ball to your Chuck Harris's, Jaden Taylor, Seamus, Lukosius's, Miles Tate of the world. So they're going to have an incredibly important role too. So that was one of the thoughts I had, just like you did. My question was simply, whose transfers are going to deliver because that is going to play a huge role in determining how this conference plays out. Agreed. Agreed. It is. And and at this point, it's a conversation that every conference that we'll have with every conference, like which transfers are going to make the biggest impact, but it's also a conversation, right? I mean, like when we're looking at the big 10, Indiana is supposed to be the best team in that conference. And it's because they're bringing everybody back. And that's not quite the case for for the Big East. I apologize for the dog in the background. If you can hear it, that's okay. Sometimes we're just excited. I'm going to mute and I'm going to let you talk. Yeah, and you kind of go down the list. I mean, Arkansas is a little – I was just thinking other conferences. Arkansas is a little bit into that category. There are a lot of new faces, but some of those are high-profile freshmen. ACC, same thing, right? North Carolina bringing everybody back. That's why they're – number one team in the country. So yeah, it is, it's always going to be a story, but I, it specifically stuck out to me with the big East. The next thing and sort of the final thing I have that is two different segments is just simply depth. How deep does this conference end up being on at the top and at the bottom? There are certainly teams that I'm not particularly high on, but also nobody I'm willing to completely write off. I mean, DePaul loses Javon Freeman, Liberty, David Jones, and Brandon Johnson. Huge deal. But you bring in Emoja Gibson and Caleb Mercy, Caleb Murphy. I'm a big fan of Nick Ungenda's. There's still some talent there, and they were not atrocious last season. They were a team that could win, you know, one. I, I mean, the word is technically multiple, but right, they weren't a two-win Big East team by any stretch of the imagination last season. Mm-hmm. Georgetown obviously didn't win any Big East games, but who knows what to expect with the incredible improvement in talent on the roster that they've gone through. Marquette is bringing plenty of players back. None of them average more than 7.4 points per game, though. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need Cam Jones and Tyler Pollock to be really, really good. Or else I could see things not going so well for the Golden Eagles. But that's assuming you're going to bet against Shaka Smart, and I don't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. 
So I am really curious about the bottom of this conference. I, I, I think I know who's going to be there, and I feel pretty good about my predictions in that sense. But these automatic give-me games, I do see a world in which the Big East ends up looking more like the Big 12, where you don't want to play anything <laughs> at the end of the day. And then on the other side of the – oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say is that the, the, the thing that – would stop me short of of that is just every every program in the Big Twelve has kind of that history of like like Kansas State will end up at the bottom, but like three years ago they won the conference. Yeah, the has the, the most titles outside of Kansas recently. Right, right, and 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 that isn't quite. I I'll just put it in that sense of like it doesn't like when Georgetown is bad, they're bad. And when DePaul is bad, they're bad, but like, and nobody is sweating about having to go to Georgetown and play a game, especially when you play in the Verizon center and there's no atmosphere whatsoever. That's what it's still called. Wherever, wherever the wizards play. Um, I don't think that's what it's called anymore, but my, my point, my, my point is still the same that like, nobody ever wants to go play no like Kansas state, no matter like Kansas state walks away with a win. They probably shouldn't have almost every year. And I'm dogging on Kansas state. I apologize to, to Kansas state. But my point being there is that is, is just that it's somehow those big 12 teams always find a way to not be absolutely atrocious, even when they should be absolutely atrocious. Um, but I mean, I'm the one I texted. I mean, we've talked about this this summer is that like Georgetown's like a win would for this season would be Georgetown winning four conference games. And like, relatively speaking, like you would love for them to go six and 14, but like, you know, one zero last year, let's win multiple this year. And like, we'll just kind of keep moving forward from there. But I'm on record this summer on this podcast telling talking about how intriguing interesting i find the georgetown roster because it is like if you gave if i gave you those guys on a note card and not in the context of they play for george i'd be like i kind of like that college basketball player and they all play for georgetown um i don't know Um, and that is a very important distinction you make because you are absolutely right when you're talking about the bottom of right it's Kansas State, TCU, Iowa State had those couple horrible seasons. And then Iowa State is right back to being one of the surprises of the country in the first few months right. under TJ Osborne. Right. It is 10 teams that at any given year can be a top 25 team, 100%. That is not the case in the Big East. That's where I wanted to throw the word more in there. Sure. To see if maybe it gets closer to that point. Again, this is just me saying, I have reason to be optimistic that is what happens. I'm not convinced it's actually going to end up that way, but there is some hope for the teams at the bottom of the conference, I feel. The other thing is at the top. Creighton is clearly the preseason favorite. Can they actually separate themselves? Or do we have a two or three team race? And how many top 25 teams are we actually talking about here? I feel good about Creighton and Villanova. And Xavier and and UConn are going to start in that conversation of maybe they're not both ranked, but they're somewhere between 20 and 35, right? Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the season. Is it consistently four? Is it only three? Is it between three and four? 
how close are these teams to each other? There are just a, we're in a world where the, everybody is not jumping to Villanova as the team to beat in this conference. And Villanova is not going to be a top five preseason team. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of unknowns there, and it kind of trickles down to the bigger question of what does the top of this conference look like when you're comparing it to the rest of this conference and the rest of the country. Absolutely. The last thing I've got in storylines is who are the best players in this conference this year. <laughs> um, Adam Sonogo is the the only guy coming back from a first team All Big East last year. Right, we can have. I mean, guys come to mind quickly. Right, your Ryan Kalkbrenners of the world, um, your Jared Bynum's of the world. Um, there are certainly guys that are primed to have those seasons, but there are a couple of things here. One that the team just needs to be filled again, right? Um, and the second is that not not all that often is the best player in the conference a big guy. Like it typically is a pretty guard dominated league when it comes to the tippity top of the, of the individual standings, right? Whether it's your, right. It's your Marcus Zagorowski's it's your Marcus Howard's it's your miles Powell's it's your Colin Gillespie's Ryan Archidiakonos and Jalen Brunson's my Lord, you know, you're right. You're and, and even right. Your Kamar Baldwin's Trayvon Blewett, <laughs> JP McCura. Shamori Ponds. Yep. Um, I mean, like you could go through every team and every team in the last 10 years has had some guy who's like in that conversation and most of them are guards, right? Or if at the very least forwards, like not all that often. It's like, oh yeah, the best player from that team the last 10 years is definitely a big guy. And it's a lot of three guard, smaller guard lineups for the for the first team all conference. Right. Exactly. Maybe, yeah. maybe you get a six four six five guy at the three, but there are a lot of yes, five ten six one six two guards. Absolutely. Exactly. Um. So just who are those guys this year? Um. And the other part of it is that I don't know if like the like Creighton the best player in Creighton's team is probably going to be Ryan Kalkbrenner. It might be Ryan Nemhard, but I would argue that things probably went wrong for Ryan Kalkbrenner if it's not him. If he's not the best part on that team, um, it's just not quite the guard dominated league it has been in the past. Now there are a lot of really really good guards. It's not saying that the, it's a it's not really a slow year for guards in the conference. It's just maybe the elite talent at the guard position isn't what it has been the last few years. I mean, going all the way back to, I mean, heck, talking you know, eight nine years. Um, I'm just curious, like when we look back, right. When we look back on two years ago, when we look back on three years ago, it's like, okay, yeah, that conference was dictated by the offensive explosion of Marcus power and Marcus Howard and miles power or man, that Villanova team was unbelievable. They had three of the five best players in the conference and Jalen Brunson was out of this world. Um, I'm just not totally sure what the, what the narrative about the best players in the conference this year is going to be. And in the past decade or so, and especially the last five or so seasons, right? There's at least one guard that ends up on the first team or second team All-American. And sometimes it's a Villanova guy, but oftentimes it's been a different school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's the, the Villanova guard showing up the same way a Kansas guard always shows up or something like that. There have been plenty of terrific Villanova point guards. We've talked about that. 
but it's also been right. Your Marcus Howards, your Trayvon Blewett, your Miles Powells that also show up there for teams that have been good, but not even necessarily great. They've just been so good individually and they're all guards. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's another conference in the country to your point that can say that, that, that you're producing that many all America caliber guards from across your conference the way the Big East has. And it's right. It's not obvious that there's going to be one this year. That's all I've got for storylines. Do you have anything else? I do not. Okay. Teams that could make the NCAA tournament. How many do you have? I have eight. I have eight as well. Excellent. Okay. I'm going to rattle them off. You tell me when to stop. Okay. Okay. Creighton, Villanova, Yukon, Providence, X Xavier, Seton Hall, St. John's, and Butler. Those are my eight teams that could make the turn. Those are my eight as well. If I told you that they were gonna that we were gonna get six in, oh boy, which six are we getting in? Creighton, Nova, Xavier, UConn. Mm-hmm. So you're picking two, two teams. You know, got four teams for two spots. Butler. The dogs getting the call. I love it. Providence. So that list of six being Creighton, Villanova, UConn, Providence, Xavier, and Butler. Yeah. With St. John's and Seton Hall on the outside looking in. Yeah, I do. Seton Hall's replacing a lot. Mm-hmm. As is Providence. That one was a tough pick between, but I'm going to go with the coach who just put a collection of transfers and sort of misfit toys, to, for lack of a better expression, into a team that won the conference. So I'm going to give Ed Cooley the benefit of the doubt. And he's got one of the better guards in the conference coming right. back. And having Jerry Bynum certainly helps. Yep. St. John's, on paper, again, four of your six leading scorers are back. Josh mm-hmm. Alexander, really good. David Jones, really good at the pole. Andre Corbello may be great. I need to actually see it. That's why I'm I'm open to the possibility they put it together. I'm not going to count on it. He's certainly extraordinary. Whether that's a good or bad thing, we don't know yet. Right. And then Butler, the other thing I'll throw out there that is why I'm really confident in this team. None of these players are going to be asked to do anything more than what they have already done at the college level. Mm. which is a very rare thing, right? Manny Bates doesn't need to go score 14 points a game. Just block shots, bro. And rebound the ball. Exactly. Yeah. Do what you've already done. Eric Hunter Jr. doesn't need to go average 15 and 6. He needs to run the offense, hit some threes to space the floor, and get the other guys in place. Dimas Lukosius has to be able to take advantage of his one-on-one matchups and generate some secondary offense, right? He's not He's not going to be the go-to scorer on this team. Chuck Harris doesn't have to shoot the ball as much because he's got all these guys around him. You can go down the list. You're not asking anybody to elevate their game and do something more than they have already done, which is a really good sign for me, and I'm also just buying what Bad Mata is selling. Well said. Thank you. Well said. And and all of the concerns from last year are being addressed exactly. in the in, by the same manner, right? It's like, well, Chuck Harris... Took a bunch of really bad shots last year. It's like, yeah, because who else was going to like create anything for that team? And 
right? Instead of CMOS Lukosius having a great end to the season and you're being like, okay, CMOS, let's up your usage rate by 33%. It's like, no, let's just like take a, a mini step forward and not really, let's just do what you've already done at a slightly higher level for the exact same role. Right. And that typically tends to be where where good college basketball teams come from, especially good college basketball teams that you might weren't expecting. It's like when you look back, it's like, okay, that that's just a bunch of team. That's just a team with a bunch of guys that are being asked to do things they're good at. I don't have a ton else to add there. Um, I think Creighton, Villanova, UConn, and Xavier, like unless things go wrong, like that's like Xavier should make the tournament. Um, I think Providence is, I think Ed Cooley and Jared Bynum get the benefit of the doubt, regardless of their luck stats or anything. Um, I think that team deserves the the nod to be a part of that group. And then you're really looking at how you feel about Seton Hall, St. John's and Butler. And when you create a pros and cons chart, right at Butler, it's, you've got Thab Mata, who's sneaky, like one of the most successful from a win percentage coaches to ever coach in the sport. Yeah. Um, Couple with guys all over the place that have been to that have been important parts of college basketball teams have been to the tournament. Um, and then right, Seton Hall, with all due respect to Shaheen Holloway, like if St. Peter's doesn't do what they did, is Shaheen Holloway the Seton Hall head coach? Maybe, but like because it's certainly because it's Shaheen Holloway and Seton Hall, which makes it a really complicated conversation, right? Right. It's not as simple as great NCAA tournament run head coach. Right. I do think he would have been in the conversation because he's Shaheen Holloway. But to your point, it all got sort of exacerbated and expedited by what St. Peter's did. And that's not me saying that Shaheen Holloway isn't a good head coach. Nothing. That's just me saying that, you know, we lost to Siena and St. Francis, New York, and Stony Brook and Canisius last year. That's all I'm saying. And it's not like, I mean, 14 and 11 the year before, 18 and 12 the year before that, 10 and 22 the year before that. Like, I, this is not me crapping on Shane Holloway. I promise you, this is me in the conversation of if I have to pick one of those three teams to be the sixth team in the tournament from the Big East, I'm taking the guy who's taken Ohio State to Final Fours and absolutely annihilated the transfer portal. So, I agree. Who wins the conference? Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, the Creightons, the, the, the fighting Greg McDermott's. I'm right there with you. Give me the experienced team that's already elite defensively with clear solutions to their offensive problems from last season. Mm-hmm. And you look at the other teams at the top of this conference, Villanova, major question marks across the board, Xavier, Need to see him actually do it. UConn, kind of the same thing. You need to see him actually do it game in and game out. How do the transfers mesh? You're going to be putting the ball in the hands of guys who haven't played for UConn before a lot. That's a slight concern. Again, I'm I'm high on UConn. I would have them in my preseason top 25. But it's not like there's another team where you point to and go, well, if Creighton doesn't sort of check every box and everything go perfectly, that team is waiting to capitalize. I mean, maybe it's Villanova, but there's also a world in which Villanova finishes two games behind Creighton because, you know, Justin Moore isn't the same player when he comes back. Cam Whitmore, it doesn't exactly work. And 
they just don't have enough weapons, you know? Mm. Again, I don't expect that to happen. And then the other thing I will I wanted to save this point for Creighton. Yes, you're you're looking at players and expecting them to take another step, but these are not guys who sort of played secondary roles. And so you mm-hmm. go, okay, well, it's their turn. Mm. These are guys who played awfully well last season. It's not like you're asking them to go do something they kind of haven't before. Yes, there's more expectation. Yes, they need to do a little bit more. But to me, that is very different than looking at, you know, Colby Jones and saying, you need to be the best player on a borderline top 25 team. Now, you could argue he was kind of in that role last season, and it didn't go all that well. But it's very different when you're not asking one guy, right? It's just this group, like you said, who are going to be smarter because they played a year of college basketball now. They played a year together. Just mm-hmm. elevate your game a little bit and get a little better offensively. I would rather fix the offense than the defense. Greg McDermott's already got the defense figured out. Agreed. I I love Greg McDermott. I think it's the most well-rounded team he's had at Creighton. Especially. Oh, I, mean, I was just going to throw in there. And that's a really interesting conversation because I agree with you. I'm not convinced it's the best because that, that trio of guards – the Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Ballack, Marcus Zagorowski team was just so ridiculously good offensively and yep. showed up for the entire season. But they were not well-rounded, no. <laughs> which is where I wholeheartedly agree with you. My question is, what does that end up actually mean? Yeah, and I think it means that they win the Big East. Uh, but yeah, right. All We're talking about returning three all Big East freshmen. Like we're, we're talking about bringing back guys that to your point were very productive last year, adding a guy in Baylor Shireman, uh and a big East player of the year caliber player in, in Ryan Kaufbrenner. And uh, they should be, they should be pretty, pretty good. And I expect them to, to win the big East this season. Do you have anything else on the conference? Anything else you need to get off your chest? Do we want to talk Imani Bates for a second? <laughs> That's probably a good idea. That's probably a good idea. It's how much there is to say. Here's here's the thing that I'll that I'll say. It is quickly becoming the weirdest college basketball career relative to expectation that we have ever seen, and and none of it has to do with like like and especially when you add the caveat of that dude hasn't been injured, right? That dude has just been unbelievably underwhelming, and. Like we went from Amani Bates is going to be like he he's not eligible for the 2023 draft. I mean, sorry, the 2022 draft. So he's going to play two years at college, and and he's going to be awesome at Memphis. And oh my gosh, it's like Kevin Durant light. And then it was kind of like Penny Hardaway was like, yeah, he can leave, go for it. You weren't an important part of our basketball team last year. We felt like we were better without you on the floor last year. And it had, not because he was injured, not because he was coming back from anything, but we went from it being a really big deal when Amani Bates decided he was going to commit to a college back in 2020 when he committed to Michigan State. I mean, before he even got to campus at Memphis, a lot happened there. But then like, he went from this guy that in tape looked like the closest thing we'd seen to Kevin Durant at the college level from a build and skill perspective to a guy that 
got basically they like held the door on the way out for him because they didn't want him to be there anymore at Memphis, transferring to Eastern Michigan, just kind of going back home because there wasn't really anybody else who was all that thrilled about the idea of having him. And now here we are with and right there, you know, there have been reports saying that it, you know the car wasn't his that he was driving that he didn't know a gun was in there but to be honest it does i mean it doesn't matter if it was his car or if it wasn't his car or if it was his gun or it wasn't it he was driving it and it was there and the now we're at a spot where eastern michigan has suspended amani bates while they have a investigation on it it is a wild wild arc for a guy that we thought was just going to come into college basketball like i've been on this podcast in the last 12 months saying i don't think people understand how good imani bates is going to be i've probably been bigger on that than you have right and and it could not have gone more different and there's not one thing to point to right right i mean he wasn't entirely healthy last season but it also it's not like he had this major career-altering injury where it was the injury that derailed his career, kind of. Mm -hmm. Right? But that was probably part of it. He wasn't, you know, there was that stretch he didn't play. And now there's this very great element of it. Like you said, it's not entirely clear exactly how this all played out. And it could be just an incredibly unfortunate story where he kind of got in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You can get into a larger conversation about that, but there is something sad if he really just truly didn't know there was sure. in the car. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's not this obvious. He did this horrific thing that makes him this despicable human being kind of. Right. Sure. No, no, no. And so it's right there. There's just not sort of one thing. It's just little pieces here, little pieces here that have all led up to this the situation he now finds himself in and again nba draft he's eligible in nine months Mm -hmm. and who knows what happens between now and you know it's just could we even after he transferred from memphis right the question i think you asked me was does he get drafted Mm mm-hmm this is another hurdle to that happening for obvious reasons. Right. And again, yeah, well, it's it's one of those situations where I'm trying to be very careful to not pass judgment or draw conclusions because there just doesn't seem to be enough information yet mm-hmm. to really put. And we may never know exactly how this all played out, but it's not black and white. Yeah. Most things in life are gray. This is certainly one of them. His career is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Anything else on him? That's that's all I've got. Yeah. I just don't want to... We need time information. They, we presented the facts as we know them. That's kind of where we're at at this point. Yeah. It's, it's preview season, baby. We're here. Woo. That's the Big East. Uh, later this week, Lucas Harkins... At Heat Check College Basketball, at Hardwired Sports. If you've been around, you've heard him before on this podcast. And we were having a conversation about who should we have on to 
to talk about the Big East. And maybe there was this subconscious, like maybe we get somebody other than Lucas kind of thing going on. But then we thought about it and it's like, that's a guy we have a blast talking to, talking to. And I don't know anybody who knows more about the Big East and is a more well-rounded Big East media guy than Lucas. So he is on the second pod of the week to talk about the Big East. We'll talk about a lot of the things we talked about in this one, but kind of get his his uh, his viewpoint on on a lot of those things. And of course, he just goes deeper into some things that, that we didn't even think about. So that is at the end of the week. And as always, it's a blast uh, to talk to Lucas on the pod here. So that's at the end of the week to wrap up Big East week. And then we're going to the ACC in week number two of our preview marathon please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod and um and we'll be back at the end of this week um as we kind of pump out a couple of these a week for a conference preview season thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later